Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Eagles Insider Podcast. It's been a couple weeks it because uh, Fran Duffy and Alex Smith have decided to hit the road, check in the action at the Shrine Game and the Senior Bowl. Phenomenal work down there from Thank both you. of you. Uh, what did you do with Alex? Because he did not return. Uh, I left him down there. He he was so worried about the weather <laughs> for uh, for St. Petersburg and Mobile that I decided to leave him down there because, of course, when we come back up north, I look down the, at the weather reports for both places, and they're both in the high 60s, low 70s today. Yeah. So uh, now I left him down south. No, uh, great work there. I'm Thank sure you. you guys took it a lot. We'll recap that later in the week on the Journey to the Draft sure. podcast. This offseason, we're getting back to doing all the podcasts year-round. And so with the Eagles Insider Podcast, you're probably thinking, all right, everything's going to be focused on the draft and what's going to happen down the horizon. And we'll get into some of that, but mainly there's a lot of stuff going on here at the Novacare Complex, especially in the last week. So, Fran, you and I get to delve into some of those details, what it means for the long-term future of the team, and uh, we'll get to your questions on mailing it in. Should we get after it? Let's do it. One, two, three, three. Three is a magic number. Now it's time for three and out. All right, so I don't think we're really going to have a three and out because obviously Alex is not here. But I think we're just kind of delve into what's happened with the team in the last week. And I'm going to look at the fact that the Eagles have taken care of their own, their hometown guys, the guys that they've developed and cultivated through the draft. And they've come to extensions in the last week with Zach Ertz, with Brent Selleck, and with Lane Johnson capping things off at the end of the week. So their core, so to speak, is now in the fold for the long term. And I think it's just a great way of getting back to how this team did things back in the 2000s when this team was going on deep playoff runs each and every year. Yep. They recognized the young talent on the team. They recognized the players that they wanted to keep for the long haul, the guys who embodied what it meant to be a Philadelphia Eagle and made sure that they never got close to hitting the free agent market. And I think it's really important with a guy like Zach Ertz, who emerged as a go-to weapon in the pass game in the last month of the season. He was hampered by a core muscle injury, which required surgery. He's a player who is certainly on the rise, no question about it. And it's great to get him in the fold for the long term. Brent Selleck, I think a lot of people were wondering, well, if what does this mean for Brent Selleck? Because Zach Ertz gets his deal. You know, Brent Selleck's been on the team. He's going into his 10th NFL season in 2016. You know, what, what's the future for him if Ertz is now the go-to guy? I think the Eagles realize that they need a guy like Selleck who can do everything from not just a pass-catching standpoint, a blocking standpoint, but just he embodies what it means to be a Philadelphia Eagle. You know, during his interview with Dave Spadaro inside the studio, he talked about how he was a guy who was not invited to the scouting combine. Back in 2007, yeah. was a fifth-round pick, and he's now the longest-tenured player on the offensive side of the football and the second-longest-tenured player on the roster overall, except for John Dornbos, the long snapper, who came in 2006. So certainly they recognize the value that he still brings to the team. I want to make sure there's no questions about his future. And Lane Johnson, look, you go back to that 2013 draft, your first two picks, Lane Johnson, Zach Ertz, Third-round pick, Benny Logan, you did a great job getting those guys, hitting you know, the nail on the head, so to speak, with those first three picks. Lane Johnson, already entrenched as your starting right tackle. Eventually, he'll move to left tackle. Will that be in 2016? I think that's a discussion for later down the road. Doesn't yep. seem like it at this point, 
but great to get these three guys under contract when you know that they're going to be part of the long-term future, the short-term and the long-term of this football team. Yeah, and I, I think that's really the, the biggest thing is you're rewarding the guys that you bring in and you develop, and you're rewarding them for their hard work. So young players that come in, and that's always been a big thing too, is seeing some of the undrafted guys that have continued to make the team and, and make an impact. You look at guys like Trey Burton, who I think we're both excited about what role he will have moving forward. When you have players that are homegrown and have developed, you want to reward them and you want to lock them up as long as possible. And everyone talks about the hometown dis- discounts. It's not necessarily about the hometown discount. It's about just getting these guys locked up and saying, look, we're doing a really good job of selecting talent, evaluating it, and then putting them in position to succeed. I'm really excited about the role that Zach Ertz is going to have. I think that uh, obviously he's put up good numbers in Chip Kelly's offense the last three years. But now with an offense and a scheme that – really looks to try and take advantage of individual players' skill sets and take advantage of one-on-one matchups. I'm excited to see what Zach Ertz can look like in an offense like that. Obviously, there were, there were positives to what Chip Kelly did, but I think in an offense where you could say get favorable matchups with a Zach Ertz on a linebacker or get Darren Sproles or Trey Burton or some of these other mismatch-type players on linebackers and safeties and try and win in the middle of the field, I'm very, very excited about uh, the prospects of that moving forward. I think that's one of the biggest... I'll say disappointments coming out of the Chip Kelly era, is that when they acquired guys like Zach Gertz and Darren Sproles, you expected them to be featured pieces where they would try to isolate those matchups, and they never did. It was more scheme versus scheme, okay? And you could, you know, explain it better where, hey, if this team is running cover two, what concepts can we use to attack that? Which... All well is good. Sure, right. So, and, hey, the Eagles offense had a lot of success in the first year and a half, two seasons under Chip Kelly. Obviously, things didn't go as well uh, for most of the third season in 2015. But nonetheless, though, when you have these talented playmakers, figure out a way to get the ball in their hands. Well, and that's really what it comes down to is that, obviously, you bring in those players with the idea that they can be matchup problems. And in a vacuum, they are. You know, Jordan Matthews is a bigger slot receiver that's going to be a mismatch problem for smaller corners True. in a vacuum. Zach Ertz is going to be a matchup problem for linebackers in a vacuum. Say you can go down the line. But the problem was is that in terms of play design, there weren't always – there were rarely plays – where you can look at and say, man, that was a play that they designed specifically to get the ball to Darren Sproles, or they designed it specifically to get the ball to Zach Ertz. It just didn't happen. That's not the way that the offense was run. So I'm very excited to see what that will look like with some creative offensive uh, designers on this coaching staff and see what Frank Wright can do, see what Doug Peterson, what kind of spin he could bring to this offense. I'm really excited about what it'll look like moving forward for that reason alone, much less you know how it'll impact the quarterback position, the running back position, what we'll see on the offensive line, if any, if any changes at all. I'm very, very excited about what it looks like moving forward. I think you brought up a great point about rewarding those who've gotten you to this yeah. point. Because I think that's something that probably crept into the locker room. And I don't know if players will admit to that, but when you see guys coming in from the outside who are getting paid big money contracts and free agency, you know, Tommy Lawler and his pandemonium column made a great metaphor comparing it to the Roman Empire where mm. you can't have mercenaries. You need the guys who, your homegrown guys, the guys you cultivate and develop to be able to work for you. When you're doing all the work and you're making the progress, but then you see someone come from the outside and get a big contract, then it's kind of like, wait a second, well, what do I have to do to get that kind of deal? So I think it's great to reward those guys so they can see that, hey, if I work hard, if I develop, if I do the right things with this team, 
they'll reward me and I won't be dreaming of going out on the free agent market. And, that, and that's and exactly right. And that also plays to the idea of just the roster construction aspect of it. And, you know, everyone complains about how much money you spend when you go into free agency. Well, if you draft well and you develop well, you don't have to go into free agency as no. often for in some of those big positions. So, you know, if you were to, if Lane Johnson were to hit the open market, he would get more money than what he got from the Eagles last week. If Zach Ertz were to hit the open market, he likely would get more money than and everyone thinks about, oh well, you know, he's in the top five in terms of money for the tight end. Forget about that because the salary cap's gonna jump again in the coming weeks and or the coming months. It's gonna be something to watch moving forward. But I think that when you start to lock some of these young guys up before they really hit the peak now you're starting to save money down the line. Certainly. Um, another thing I was looking at, I wanted to go back to the 2004 team. And how was that team yeah. built? And you look at the homegrown guys. Your quarterback was Donovan. Your running back was Westbrook. Three of your offensive linemen, you know, including Trey Thomas, were draft picks. Two of your three receivers, okay? Obviously, we know Terrell Owens was the sure. one guy you brought from the outside. But you know what? You bring in... A guy or supplement. two. Yep, exactly supplement right. a guy or two. John Runyon was a guy you supplemented along the offensive line, but most of your guys were homegrown guys. The entire secondary yeah. on that Super Bowl team, those were draft picks. High draft picks, all first and second round picks, but they were all draft picks. Nonetheless, you look at your defensive line, the one guy you brought in obviously was Curse, but you had Trotter, a middle linebacker. You had Corey Simon. He's your former first round pick. So... It shows the value, shows how important it is to you have to draft well. And look at Carolina. Look, yeah. at, the, look at the team representing the NFC in the Super Bowl this week. Uh, you look at some of all the, pretty much all of their talent is homegrown talent. You know, maybe they, they signed Michael Orr off the scrap heap. You know, off they brought the scrap in, heap, though, oh, yeah. that's the thing. Yes. They brought in Kirk Coleman off the scrap heap, Roman, Har- Roman Harper off the scrap heap, but they developed Josh Norman. They developed Luke Keekley and they had Thomas Davis has been there for forever. Uh, you know, Latulale and Kawan Short and Charles Johnson up front. The offensive line, other than Orr, is, is almost all developmental players that they brought in and they brought along. Cam Newton, obviously, Jonathan Stewart, you know, the receiver position, the Philly Browns of the world. I mean, they've done a good job of developing talent, uh, and really that's, that's what it comes down to in the NFL is, is drafting well. And it's not just hitting. You, you mentioned before, you know, that, that one draft of Lane Johnson, Zach Ertz, Benny Logan, three hits. But you have to be able to also hit on day three. And then also on undrafted guys, being, being able to bring in some of those diamonds in the rough and try and develop players. And that's something that obviously didn't happen to the level that you would have wanted with the previous regime. That's why it was funny. You were watching, just before we recorded this podcast, where it's Monday afternoon here in Philly, uh, Fran was watching tape of the Shrine Game guys. And I joked, kind of half-jokingly though, saying, this is where you win the draft. Yep. You know, these Shrine Game guys... Fans, the, the casual fans, I can have heard of most of them. I haven't heard of, of a good deal of them to this point, even in the draft process. But these are the guys who are going to be selected in rounds four, five, six, and seven, and undraft. They'll be undrafted. But these are the guys who are going to be those core role players who help out on special teams. Are going to be, you know, starters and occasional spots on your team. These are going to be the depth guys. They're going to help you get from. Good to great, sure. so to speak. Josh Norman. Josh Norman was a Shrine guy. John Brown from, uh, from the Arizona Cardinals was a Shrine guy. I mean, uh, there's always there's talent everywhere, and it's all about bringing them in, finding the perfect fit for them in your system, and then develop, developing them on and off the field. Speaking of systems, yes. why don't we delve into what the Eagles could be bringing from that standpoint. That's something you want to touch on. Yeah, I, I think, obviously, the, the coaching staff seems to be just about final, so it's 
uh, you know, it's exciting to kind of look at that and wh what it means for this team moving forward from a schematic standpoint. And, you know, Jim Schwartz and the 4-3 scheme and attacking defensive line up front, I think it's something we're excited about with the personnel on this roster. You look at Fletcher Cox and uh, what he can bring both inside and outside. Brandon Graham and Connor Barwin on the outside. What does this mean for Marcus Smith moving forward? Uh, I'm, I'm excited about what this will look like up front for this defense because you have a lot of interesting pieces. And then also... Who are the players that they could add in the draft? Because now you're looking at, all right, well, who are some players that are on the free agent market that you can get on low to mid-end contracts that potentially fit? You know, maybe there's players uh, that played for Schwartz in Detroit that, that would possibly fit. A Tahir Whitehead, uh, a Jason Jones. He's the Temple guy. Uh, That's what it is. It I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I think that it's exciting to kind of look at, okay, who are some of these new pieces that could potentially fit? And these are pieces, these are things that I'll be hitting on in uh, my Eagle Eye in the Sky column over the course of the next couple of weeks is, uh, what is this scheme going to look like? And then offensively, you know, I think a lot of people, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago when, when Doug Peterson was hired as head coach, I think a lot of people have this preconceived notion that this offense is going to look just like it did when Andy Reid was here, and it's just not the case. And he wants to be aggressive. He wants to be able to attack downfield, but then also attack you in however they can. And they're going to take some of these players, like we talked about already with the Zach Gertz and some of these other matchup players, create situations for them to get the football, but then also – Whatever you do, we're going to try and attack that. So we're, we're really going to be seeing this offense attack defenses from a real multidimensional uh, phase. It's going to be very, very interesting to watch this offense. Uh, excited about some of the guys that were kept on, whether it was Corey, Corey Unlin and the job he did with the defensive backs, Jeff Stoutland, Dave Phipp, and Matt Harper, obviously great to keep from a special team standpoint. So excited about this coaching staff and excited over the course of the next few weeks as they continue to build the roster, how they start to, to see some of these pieces come together. It's interesting you brought up the fact that the coaches want to be aggressive, that yeah. they want to take, they want to dictate their will sure. to the other team. And it was great hearing Frank Reich say that in his Inside the Studio interview with Dave Spadaro because there were times where last year with Chip Kelly, you heard the opposite. You, you heard, well, the defense did this, so we're going to do this. It's like, no, if we do something great, let's do that until they can stop it and go from there. So I think it's great to bring in that mindset, that mentality – I also like, from Frank Reich's standpoint, the elements of the vertical passing game that yeah. I think will complement uh, Doug Peterson's West Coast hybrid scheme very nicely. He's done a great job in San Diego with the big play passing attack with Phillip Rivers over the last couple seasons. It would be great to see him bring that here to Philadelphia. There are some tools to work with. Certainly, I think we could say wide receiver is an area that there are some question marks moving forward, but I think there's some pieces to work with when you've used a first-round pick in Nelson Aguilar last year, a second-round pick in Jordan Matthews, and a third-round pick in Josh Huff in the last couple of years. You need time for those guys to develop. I'm wondering what do the coaches think of these guys, and then how will they be utilized in yeah. the future? Yeah, and then you have to also have to take into account Greg Lewis, you know, coming yeah. in a, a former NFL wide receiver uh, and talking with some people. You know, Mike, Mike Quick is very, very happy about bringing Greg Lewis to town because you have a guy who played the position, can help teach these guys some of the nuances uh, at, of the wide receiver position and help to bring these guys along. But think back to Frank Reich and to Doug Peterson and the two offenses they came from. Doug Peterson and what they did in Kansas City the past couple of years to, to create space for Travis Kelsey and obviously all the rotation of running backs that they used in Kansas City this past year after Jamal Charles went down. So you can start to say, okay, what can happen here with Zach Ertz? And then you look at Frank Reich. What did they do to create matchup problems for Antonio Gates, 
for Ladarius Green at the tight end position, and also for Danny Woodhead out of the backfield. And obviously, you know, for, from a running game perspective, Melvin Gordon had some issues. They had some issues on the offensive line running the football last year in San Diego, and that's part of the reason why he's not there anymore. But in terms of creating matchups for guys, you know, Reich has proven to be one of the best in the league. So I'm really excited, again, about what these guys can do from a schematic standpoint and really just putting these guys in position to succeed. In my uh, Jones and for football phase, it was Friday night. Uh, my oldest son is in Cub Scouts, okay. and I'm one of the den leaders. So we had the meeting, brought him home, put the kids to bed. Wife's like, I'm going to bed early. I'm like, all right, it's Friday night. I'm like, I'm not doing anything. I'm like, let me put the TV on, and I put on the 30 for 30 on the okay. Buffalo Bills. That's right, yep. And I didn't realize how Frank Reich is one of the guys who's featured throughout the entire yeah. piece. He's one of the guys that they interviewed. So, you know, not knowing a ton about Frank Reich, it was just fascinating to watch his journey through that, through that time and just how that team – I was just so amazed watching that team. It's like to – Watching the Eagles in the early 2000s get to the NFC Championship game year after year yeah. was very, very difficult, very tough. You have to overcome a lot. And, of course, as you get to that second, third, fourth game, the question of are you going to win it this year? What happens if you don't win it? That weighs on you. This Buffalo Bills team got to the Super Bowl. They wow. won that game four years in a row and still didn't come home with the title. It was just its remarkable how resilient that team was and then also just the, the i know the reaction from the fans and the media locally it's you know even though they lost you know the, the, the third straight they were still bringing out they wanted scott norwood to come out yes. and speak i mean it's great and obviously i think there are a lot of similarities between philly fans and, and buffalo fans in that way i think it's almost a an unconditional love in a lot of ways so uh definitely a very interesting piece uh interesting as we're talking about the coaches that jim schwartz finally confirmed yep. that it will be a 4-3 yep. defense and I think it's funny because Tommy Lawler and I will email back and forth, and he's like, well, why haven't the Eagles... That was one of the first things he asked me down at the Senior Bowl. Yeah, <laughs> same, same, why, same why haven't the Eagles confirmed yeah. the 4-3? And I just said, Tommy, look at the coaching staff right. that hired Ken Flagell, one linebacker coach. Yep. That's it. That's it. That really should tell you right there what it's going to be. And, um, you know, but Schwartz obviously finally confirmed it. It's interesting because there's a philosophical debate on whether a coach should have his scheme and then have the players adjust to it versus do you take what you have, the talent that you have, and you mold it and find a system and craft a game plan that works week after week. And I feel like that obviously Schwartz and Doug Peterson and Frank Reich and all the coaches are going to have what they want to do, big picture, but they're not, I don't know if they're going to be able to get there in year one. They're going to have to get their players and get the program rolling and work toward that. So they're going to have to do some massaging along the way versus I think really Bill Belichick's the one coach who says, all right, these are the 11 players I have on offense. Yep. Here's what the, the scheme will be. Here's what I have on defense. This is what the scheme will be. You can't do that year after year after year. You want to grow to something. You're working to a point. But I think you definitely have to realize that hey, you can't force feed certain things to players. It's important that they come in, they teach a scheme, but obviously if you have certain talent at certain positions, you work with that to try to maximize your potential to win. Yeah, I think really the when it comes to 3-4 versus 4-3, obviously we've talked in the past about how it's really you're talking about base downs because once you go to sub-package, most people play four down, mm-hmm. and it's one gap, get up field anyway. 
but really it's it's more of a mindset as opposed to you know how many players have their hand in the dirt versus how many are standing up. I think it's more, and this is the, this is the difference is. Uh, you know, Jim Schwartz wants his guys attacking up front. He wants them getting into the backfield, creating havoc immediately at the snap. Whereas Bill Davis and Jerry Azanara, they wanted those guys to be able to read and react. You know, let the let the action come to them. Be able to stand up offensive linemen and flow to the football. It's just a different mindset, a different philosophy. But whether you're playing a four-three or a three-four, there are four-three teams that rely more on on read and react defensive uh, linemen, and there are three-four teams that react. Uh, you know, that have more disruption. You look at what Wade Phillips does in in, uh, in Denver now and what he has done throughout his career. It's more about disruption. So uh, whether it's three, four, four, three, not necessarily doesn't it doesn't really matter as much. It's more. Uh, do you want to be an att- attacking defense or do you want to be a more read and react? And there's pluses to minuses to both. Definitely. I just look at what the Eagles have up front led by Fletcher Cox, sure. and you just salivate at the thought yeah. of them being able to attack and get after the quarterback. And for, don't forget that he was drafted to play in this scheme. I mean, yes. he, when Jim Washburn was here, uh, Fletcher Cox was drafted with the idea that he was going to play inside and, and attack upfield. So very excited to see him now that he's reached you know, the, the level that he has as a defensive lineman uh, to play in this scheme. It's going to be very, very exciting. All right, should we uh, transition to the fans' let's, questions? Let's do it. Let's do mailbag. Let's go to mailing it in. Captain, incoming message. Please check your mailbox. A new message has arrived. And now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in our segment, Mailing It In. All right, some great questions from you guys for this week's Mailing It In. And the first one comes from Manny Chang at Manny560Q on Twitter. Wants to know, with D'Amico Ryan's age and Kiko Alonso's inconsistency, does the middle linebacker position need to be addressed in the first three rounds of the draft? Now, Obviously, I know we have the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA, and we'll focus more on draft things. But I was just thinking when I saw this question, just the fact that we could talk about the position overall because I don't think Kiko is going to be your inside linebacker in this game. I see him working on the outside, whether it's weak side, strong side. We can debate. I probably would think he's a strong side, personally. I would think so, yep. Now, the middle linebacker position will be interesting because certainly you can pencil in D'Amico in that spot. But I think Jordan Hicks could play that spot, someone with position versatility and who's coming off a very good rookie season. Rehab for his pectoral injuries going great. He probably, I think, around this time would be ready to be able to play, in fact, if he had to. But nonetheless, I don't say you could force or say you have to draft someone in the early rounds. I think it will be interesting to see what does Jim Schwartz want from the linebacker positions because there are a lot of guys there, certainly, it's going to be more of a question of where do the guys fit in, but I certainly also wouldn't be opposed with some of the players who are coming out in this year's draft of taking someone there in the first three rounds. Uh, I think really when you come, it comes down to it, and everyone will say, look, transitioning to a 4-3, there's going to be, you're going to have to draft some defensive linemen. Let's have a, I think they're going to have to add some, whether it's through free agency or, or the draft, and we'll see how that goes in March, but uh, you're going to have to add some linebackers. I mean, you look at, at where the roster is right now, you know, you've got Kiko, who obviously didn't have as great of a season as, as he would have hoped uh, coming his first year here in Philadelphia. Connor Barwin was a linebacker last year. Looks like he's going to be transitioning to the defensive end. Of course. Brian Brayman, same thing. Najee Good you have inside, and obviously will provide solid depth there. Brandon Graham's going to transition to DN. Hepburn, is he a strong side linebacker in the scheme, or is he more of a DN? Jordan Hicks, obviously coming off the injury, you're set there. Michael Kendricks just re-signed over the summer, so you know that you have him. Steven Means. 
D'Amico Ryan's coming back. You know, Marcus Smith probably transitioned to the end. There's not a lot. Of, we, I mean, there's probably four linebackers we talked about that are staying at that linebacker yeah. spot over three positions. So you really only have one backup to three starters. I think that you probably are going to need to add a couple guys. So it'll be interesting to see how they decide to go about that. Will it be with a with someone in the first three rounds? I wouldn't rule it out. Hey, if you're if you're going to draft best player available and try and you know add whoever the best players are, uh, and someone is there at 13, or if someone's there with one of those third round picks that you didn't think would be there, I think you're you're not going to shy away from drafting them. No, and it's also going to be interesting because you're going from the 3-4, the read and react, where the linebackers are going to come to the ball more clean versus they're going to have to fight their way through trash. They're yeah. going to be able to shed blocks there because the D linemen are going to be focused on getting upfield and attacking. So you're going to be looking for something a little different. Yep. Still, these guys like D'Amico and Jordan Hicks, they played, Michael Kendricks, they played in both schemes now. So yep. they have experience with both. Second question comes from the real C.J. Hood. What date does the Sam Bradford decision need to be made by? And it's really the franchise tag deadline. Yeah. That's, to me, when it comes to unless you come up with a contract extension before that, but if you're saying the drop-dead date, you would have to figure by that point, okay, are you going to franchise them? And if you're not going to franchise them but still want to work out a deal? It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough at that point because you are allowing him to hit the open market. And you don't see starting quarterbacks hit the open market very often. Yeah. I mean, you think of, quite honestly, I'm going back in recent history, you go Drew Brees. Yep. You go Peyton Manning. Yep. And they were coming off injuries. And think about how hard those guys were pursued no for a good reason. Yes. You know, and we're not saying that Sam Bradford's going to turn into what Drew Brees was and he's not, maybe he's not going to lead teams to Super Bowls, but. Uh, that would be the idea, and I yeah. think that's what teams are going to be looking for. If you're Houston right now and you won your division this past year with what you had at the quarterback position, you know why wouldn't you be looking at Bradford that way? So uh, I think I would agree that would, that would be the date for me. Yeah, so I would say the franchise tag by that point. So that's you hear the coaches say positive things about Bradford, and certainly he improved throughout the course of the season. I just think there's a lot of negotiation that's going to have to go on there. It's, you know, are you going to want him for a long-term deal? Is What is he looking for in a contract? And does he want to come back? That's right. that's exactly Another right. Another question, too. So he knows that he's going to have all of these options. So do the Eagles want to put the franchise tag and hold his rights for a year, or do they want to try to figure out something more long-term? All right, third question comes from at AlphaDog1995. What offensive scheme would best suit this Eagles team. And I think that what we're going to see is what Doug Pearson brings in is going to maximize the talents of the players who are already on the roster. And yeah. I think it's going to extenuate those talents. And, you know, we talk about guys like at, like Zacherts at tight end. I look at DeMarco Murray at running back. Uh, are you going to get him in a more downhill power rushing style that is more suited to what he did in Dallas? Is there something you can do with him from that standpoint, that gets him closer to the NFL Offensive Player of yep. the Year stats than what we saw last season when it just wasn't the right fit in the Eagles' uh, spread offense. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I think has changed about the game over the last 15, 20 years, I would say like the mid-90s, early 90s, everybody, if you ran an offense, you ran a system, and there was a specific system, and everybody, if you knew, you know, you were running the West Coast, okay, you knew what that was going to look like. I think I think Doug Peterson said it best. He said it's West Coast ish, you know, and, and that's every team in the league now. 
runs it's almost a melting pot of schemes because yeah. people now have seen all these coaches now have come up and have worked into all these different schemes and they've taken bits and pieces of what works you've seen years and years worth of game tape to see what works in the nfl what doesn't work in the nfl and you see it on a year-to-year basis on a week-to-week basis really if one play you might see one play work uh you know for over the course of the next couple of weeks for one team and you think about those package plays that uh that really are all the rage now that everybody uses it really started, you know, Chip Kelly helped bring them up and some of the other t- coaches uh, early in that era in the 2012, 2013 type range started using them. Now everybody uses them because they work, you know. And so now I think that's really what it comes down to. Everybody's using a lot of the same plays. It's really what, what are going to be the specific schemes. Now, you could talk about the run game. Will that change? I mean, that will be, be very, very interesting to see how so, it changes along the offensive line. You know, what are they going to look like uh, up front? And then also – what are some of the tactics they'll use up front? You know, I would imagine that you'll see more downhill, more gap-style uh, type schemes there for DeMarco Murray. So will we see more power and counter and you know, some inside zone for sure, but uh, I don't know that we'll be seeing so many sweep and outside runs with DeMarco Murray this year. Following up on that, a similar question, and I think you already started to touch on it, from Eagles Troll at Eagles Troll on Twitter, are there specific offensive line blocking schemes distinct to the West Coast offense that we should expect to see. I think uh, there are some some West Coast teams go zone, some West Coast teams goes go gap, and I think really the other thing that should be noted too, a lot of teams use both now. Everybody, yeah. I mean, it's a it's it is very much a mix. It's rare, so you know there are some teams, Atlanta, uh, you know, with with Kyle Shanahan, yeah, they're they're a zone blocking team, uh, but and there are other teams. You'll see a good mix. Washington now, you'll see a good mix. Sometimes they'll run power and counter with Matt Jones. Then they'll come back and they'll run Alfred Morris with outside zone. I mean, it's, uh, everybody uses a good mix. So it's really what, what are you going to weigh, weigh in terms of what's the priority up front? I just look at the evolution from Andy Reid, from when he had Juan Castillo yep. as the offensive line coach. And you had the bigger, bulkier offensive lineman. You transitioned to Howard Mudd. And you had the smaller, quicker, more athletic mm-hmm. linemen. And those are both within the same offensive scheme. Exactly. So certainly it can evolve over time. And, that, and that's interesting, too. You look at uh, some of the look at Juan Castillo now in Baltimore. And that offensive line is one of the biggest in the NFL. They're all 330 pounds. Yep. But they're running zone blocking. See, they're running outside zone with, with Justin Forsett. I mean, it, it's a. It's not as pigeonholed, I think, as, as people want it to be, it's, which is unfortunate because obviously you'd want it to be nice and clean and say, okay, they're going to they're gonna run gap scheme and they're gonna, this is what they're going to do. I think everybody runs a little bit of everything. And especially coming from the fact that you'll have the same offensive line coach in Jeff Stoutland, right. but of course he was running what Chip Kelly and Pat Shermer want to do on offense. It's going to be now what do Peterson and Frank Reich want yep. for the offense to uh, kind of dictate what they're going to do with the offensive line. Uh, last question, a free agency question, comes from, at Max Quotadart on Twitter, wants to know, are we going to go after specifically Mario Williams in free agency because Jim Schwartz coached him in Buffalo? And I think you're going to look for those types of players. Yep. From that financial standpoint, I don't know if it would That's be question. a Mario Williams per se, but you mentioned some players before, like Jason, Jason Jones. Jones. Yeah. Yes. So similar players who you know schematically have had success, who know the scheme, who can teach it to the younger players who are not going to cost a ton. You don't this free agency should not be about going out there and spending big time bucks on really any position. That would be I, the assumption. Yeah. Yeah, that's what you're going to go into it with. So, you know, you're trying to take care of your homegrown guys, you yep. know, they're trying to get these long-term contract extensions done. That should be the focal point and then you plug in a couple of pieces hopefully in free agency to carry you over. I mean, 
I haven't really done a hard, long look at the free agent list for this year, who are going to be the top guys. I mean, everyone's talking about Sam Bradford, probably the preeminent free yeah, agent right. who is scheduled to hit the market. You know, you look at the Eagles guys at this point, I mean, Vinnie Curry's probably the one major question mark, That's along with one. Nolan Carroll yeah. and Walter Thurman, sure. the guys in the secondary. So, um, But it's funny because even like a Najee Good, who we talk about, you look at the linebackers right now, and you're counting them into that picture, yeah. and there are already so few, but it's like, wait, Najee Good may not even be in the picture right. for next year. That's a good so. point. That's a valid point. I didn't um, think about that. But I definitely think that you're trying to take care of your own first and foremost, and then you want guys who have been successful. And, I mean, look at what Dave Gettleman has done yeah. in Carolina. Like you said earlier in the show, Fran, where it's guys you sign off the street who didn't work in other schemes, but you know coaches may have known about them, like a Kirk Coleman, for example, who, you know what, they, they know the weaknesses, but they – play to protect that, yep. so to speak. It's a, I think there's so many different ways uh, where teams have success across the league, but really what it comes down to is a marriage between the personnel department and the coaching staff, and it yes. may not always be you know, the biggest name coaches and personnel guys. It really just matters. It's all about fit you yeah. know, and making sure that you're, everybody's on the same page. And, and there are lots, like I said, there's lots of ways. Carolina went about it one way. You look at Denver. We talk about homegrown talent. They don't have as much. You know, you yeah. look at on both sides of the football. Peyton Manning's not homegrown. Uh, C.J. Anderson, I think, is homegrown. But uh, you look at some of the other guys they bought in across across the board, whether it's offensive line on the defense. I mean, there's a, Demarcus Ware's not there's not from there. Akeem Talib, the mm-hmm. safeties. I mean, a lot of those guys were bought in via free agency. So uh, it's it's definitely a good mix. It's all about finding the the right pieces for your coaches, and then your coaches taking those players and saying, how can we best utilize their talent. Speaking of which, who wins Super Bowl? You know, sticking with my pick. My pick is still in there. Your I pick is still in. I, had I, I think. I, here's what I think. I think that Carolina, great run game, and it's so, so many different ways that they can come at you. But I think Denver has two weeks to prepare for it, and since so much of it is so, is about making sure that you're disciplined up front, that you're gap sound, and making sure that you've got your you know your eyes are in the right place. Two weeks to prepare. I, I like Denver, too. I just I think it's going to be the Peyton Man swan song. Yeah. Like I said, when the playoffs first started, I just figured they're going to find a way to get in there with that defense. And I even had a – going into that New England game, I was even starting to think, why did I pick Denver? Yeah. <laughs> On paper, I was like, how did, I, how did I pick Denver to go? But I just – I felt that obviously the defense is great. Peyton is showing enough smarts to get you by an offense, not turning the ball over, which will be huge. The question for Carolina is they've just been so dominant to this point. If They really have not faced adversity. Yep. And there is something to be said for that. So I still, I'm sticking to my guns. I think Denver will end up winning the Super Bowl. But uh, it should be a fascinating game because of the contrasting styles between the two teams. It's very, very different. It's going to be a very exciting game. You know, speaking of philosophy, I love the fact that you look at Denver. Now, they do get great penetration from the interior guys yep. like Derek Wolf who was one of your favorites that oh draft class and, I remember and, that oh yeah I, I loved Wolf I loved uh the kid on the other side too who I'm blanking on his name from Tennessee um Vickerson no, no uh oh my gosh for some reason I'm blanking on his name but yes I, I liked a lot of a lot of those guys up front for that Danny yeah. Trevathan I really liked out of yep. Kentucky uh it's a it's a good defense Bradley Roby I loved coming out of Ohio State he's my number one corner that year it's a good group but then you look at Carolina, yeah, and they win with the interior disruption. Sure, 
So from that standpoint, it's it's an interesting roster building exercise of which one wins better. Do you like the outside pressure where you have Ware and Von Miller come off the edges? Right. Yep. Or do you like the having come from the inside? Obviously, you'd want both, but and it's also another idea, another example too. Where we were talking earlier about three-four versus four-three. Both teams are attacking defenses. One's a three-four, mm-hmm. one's a four-three. They're not asking Von or uh, any of those guys up front. They're not asking Derek Wolf to do as much read and react. I mean, yeah. those guys are getting upfield and trying to penetrate and, and wreak havoc. So uh, it's going to be a really fun game. Uh, I think it's going to do it for us. Here we go. So good to get back in the saddle with you. It was well. It's been a couple I weeks. Feel, I feel rusty. Yeah. Or anything else. I feel like I've been out in the out of the loop the last couple of weeks enjoying your guys' podcast. It, pretty much my routine has been morning commute, listen to the podcast from the night before, and as I'm sitting in the car outside the Novacare complex, I'm texting my notes to, to Alex, to Alex yep. about uh, my feedback on the show. So great stuff from you guys down there. Thank Glad you. to be back in it. We will have the Journey to the Draft podcast coming for you on Wednesday. Yep, video and audio. Video and audio. Yep. So that means I do have to shave the head because you will have to get you'll have to shave. My, yes, my, as will I. My wife has told me that she was watching some of the 360 updates, and no. she said you're getting a little lean up there. Uh, yeah, you got to trim that back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's see. Well, Eagle Eye in the Sky tomorrow. Tomorrow. Tomorrow, That's and right. then Eagles Live with Dave Spadaro. That's right. Thursday. Thursday. That's right. So we've got tons of programming coming your way. Uh, make sure to rate and comment wherever you consume podcasts. Thank you very much for listening. We're also starting to send prizes to those of you who ask us questions throughout the year for the Mailing It In segment. So you should be hearing from us uh, in the next week or so, hopefully, to get those out to you. So for Fran Duffy and even Alex Smith, wherever he is on his uh, vacation week, I'm Chris McPherson. Thanks for enjoying the Eagles' entire podcast.